great to be here with you this morning. Great to be worshiping with you here. And uh, I don't know if we've had more yellow in the audience in our life, but great to have you guys here and uh, love what God's doing in this place. Can't wait for this week with VBS, just a lot going on and uh, just fired up to see what God does with all these kids coming in, getting after our God who is the greatest, his love that is the greatest. And these kids learn to love him with all they've got and then share that out to the streets. Man, may God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Look forward to seeing you this week there. It's going to be an awesome time of worship as this place comes unglued for Jesus Christ. And um, man, we're in a series called All Authority. All Authority. We've been talking through the greatness of Jesus Christ. You know, we know that it says in Scripture, He has all authority in heaven and on earth. So each and every week, we're looking at a different facet of the authority that He has, what that means, and how we can go about worshiping Him. That's what we're walking through. So as we're picking it up today, Christ has all authority to build the church. All authority to build the church. And as we walk through what that means today and we look at the passage, we're going to see the greatness of Christ establishing and pulling together and drawing together each and every one who believes in him. May he get all the glory. And um, As we pick it up here in Matthew 16, we just got to have the lay of the land. Jesus has been beginning to introduce himself to the disciples over the course of a year and a half, two years. He's trying to get them unaware of who he is. And, and they're sort of getting it, and they're completely missing it in other ways. And as time has gone by, he's been able to heal mightily. There are people who are now walking because of Jesus' words. There are people who don't have leprosy because of his touch. 4,000 people were fed. 5,000 people on another occasion were fed. This massive authority and teach going on. And as he shares, people are rocked. They're like, no one teaches like this guy. This is amazing. And as Jesus is beginning to unveil just a little bit of who he is, the pressure starts to mount. John the Baptist ends up losing his life. He's beheaded. And their people are stunned. There's sort of this movement going on as Jesus is beginning to teach what's happening next. And he's beginning to prep his disciples for what comes next. In fact, he rallies with the disciples. He's on the Sea of Galilee, the north side, and he said, let's take a journey. Let's go up 25 or 30 miles to the north to a small town called Caesarea Philippi, and that's where we pick it up now. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. So turn with me, if you will, there to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and Christ has all authority to build his church, and how should we respond to that? First step, first point, trust in Jesus as the King of Kings. God Almighty. Trust. Trust in Jesus as the King of Kings, God Almighty. It says here, starting in verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets, and we'll just hold right there. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about worship. He's having a conversation with his disciples about who he is. He says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, we've got to know a little bit about that town if we're going to understand a little bit of what comes next in this story, all right? Caesarea Philippi, it was just a small town up north, uh, about 25, 30 miles, like I said, north 
of the Sea of Galilee. Really, it was, it was a Roman town. It was a pretty sin-ridden town. It was deeply steeped in idolatry. It was rough when it came to sex, sin, and so many other things. There was a ton going on. It was kind of Roman-led, and it really was kind of high debauchery at many levels. It Honestly, it wouldn't be far off from saying, hey, you want to go to Vegas, right? You'd be like, man, only if we're going to stay out during the daytime. Have you seen what happens at night on the strip, right? And like that kind of conversation is what went on. As Christ was like, let's head to Caesarea Philippi. The disciples had to be like, for real? Like, why are we doing this? What are we going up there for? And I'm just telling you, you cannot land the level of idolatry strong enough. You have to get the gist of it. And so, really important we get it. I just thought another moment here, John and I, like I said, we were in Israel last fall, and here's another moment. We've, we were able to visit Caesarea Philippi as well. And so we actually grabbed a few photos there, and, and I wanted to just share a couple with you, just so you get the gist of what it looks like. So here's the first image of the Caesarea Philippi. It's, a, it's gorgeous, right? You can see it's kind of lush in this you see that stone face back there, that rock back there? Well, the bottom line is that's kind of a, it's about a hundred and some feet high rock and you can see this cave here and then there's some other things going on. Notice the water coming down in front. It looks very refreshing, right? And as it took some of the limestone and other things from there and it sort of fed the area, it became very rich and fertile and, and the water came out of that cave and they actually believed that that water uh, reached down into the depths and the water being brought out each year was a blessing. And so they ended up throwing things in there, which we'll talk about in just a second, to bring a little bit of blessing. It was high idolatry. And um, let's just go to the next slide. And uh, this is a, a couple of pictures as well. Um, on the right there, you can see those little inlets in that stone. That's that big stone face. They actually made these inlets and they would set idols in there. And then people would come up and they would just worship those idols. They would give things there. They would hope that if they gave something, they would get something back. This idol worship, there were several different idols steeped into the walls all over the place. And they would come in and do whatever they could do to somehow make their life a little easier or a little more comfortable. But it was more than just about these little idols shoved in the walls. There was also this giant temple there. It was actually to honor the god Pan, and it was basically a temple of prostitution. And uh, don't take this the wrong way, all right? But my wife is leaning up against the pillar there at the temple of prostitution. That's right where, <laughs> that's right where the prostitutes would have actually kind of stood and held out, and they would have called people in, right? And so she was leaning there. I'm taking a picture of her, and we're splashing back towards, this is where all the sin was going on, man. And you can imagine Jesus and all the disciples hanging out in front of this and there's sin going on all over the place. And it's selfishness everywhere and there's worship of idols and there's prostitution and they're hanging out in front and trying to woo the guys in and take them inside to have some sort of sexual moment and idol moment. And Jesus has brought the disciples to this place, to this rock, to be able to, be able to teach some things. And if you look into that cave now that's right behind Johnny, you can see it back there. It's that same one we saw in the first picture. Just to get back to that for a moment. That cave was actually, they believed it went all the way down to the depths of hell. They believed that the demons released out of that cave and came out. In fact, they call this cave the gate of hell. 
And it connects down into the demonic levels. And they believed that there was demonic level blessing that would come if once a year in the spring they would come and give to it. In fact, they gave so much to it that, ready? They actually went into child sacrifice. They would throw children into this cave hoping to appease the demons so that they would get water that would come out fertile, that would make the ground lush, that would bless them. It was a horrific place of selfishness and idolatry. This giant massive place of stone, this cave called the gate of hell, this worship all over the place taking place there. That's what's going on. That's the backdrop behind Jesus as he's talking with his disciples. We all got the lay of the land now? Okay, super important. We get it. Here we go. It says, Jesus said to him, who do people say that the son of man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? In fact, when this is recorded in a couple of the other Gospels, it says, who do people say that I am? Like, he's calling himself the Son of Man. This is a term he uses about himself. It's, it's actually a term used in the Old Testament. It's a ministry term. It has some level of prophetic importance to it, and he's claiming it of himself. He's like, who do people say that I am? What's the answer? And as he asks them, um, it says, And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. you got to imagine how that went down, right? Jesus is like, all right, boys, it's been a 25-mile walk, kind of sweaty and hot, sitting here by the water, sin all around us. Who do people say that I am? Like, you see what they're hoping for with these idols, Who do they say the Son of Man is? You can imagine the disciples in that moment. You're in this group of 12. Who's the first to answer, right? Would you want to answer that question? Who do people, I don't want to tell you who people say you are, right? Everything goes quiet for a moment, then they start answering. Well, some say John the Baptist. We just talked about that. John the Baptist was just murdered. He had just had his head cut off. And some are saying, well, maybe you came back to life somehow, John the Baptist did, and he, he was impacting the world now through you. And a little bit of a weird plan there, a little bit of a weird thought. And in fact, Herod Antipas was one of them that thought that, one of the key leaders. He's like, I thought that guy was killed. Did he come back now? This Jesus that's rising up. And they thought, well, maybe somehow John the Baptist risen from the dead. Or Elijah If you look at Old Testament prophecy, it says that when the Messiah comes, first will come Elijah. And they're like, maybe this is Elijah. And they're thinking Jesus is an answer that way. Or maybe Jeremiah, one of the other prophets who brought a lot of doom and gloom statement. Jesus really saying, there's a lot that needs to change around here. Jeremiah was that kind of prophet. And they're like, well, maybe that's what's going on. Maybe this is Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets. They definitely thought that somehow Jesus was tied to what had already come what was already guaranteed, what was prophetic, and what was phenomenal. It must be one of them. People are saying that about Jesus Christ. And as Jesus hears these answers, can you imagine, you ask somebody, who do people say that I am? And the answers coming back are completely wrong. Right? That's what's going on here. As he's getting the answer, every answer they're giving is like, not that, not that, not that. No, not that either. So then he says to them, well, who do you say that I am? Right, the first question was, who does everybody else say? 
Like, hey, we're looking at everybody else worshiping around here to ridiculous idols. And what is the story on the street about me? Got that answer. It's completely wrong. Fine. Who do you say that I am? Now, you've got to imagine, if the first question got a little bit of silence, how much does the second question get silence, right? Who does everybody else say that I am? Well, I mean, you know. Some of them are saying John the Baptist or Elijah or, you know, Jeremiah and stuff. Great. Who do you say that I am? Well, so who's the first one to speak? Peter. If you know anything about Peter, this is a guy who's like Mr. Brash. Like, I'm going to live it out there, man. Right? When it's time to walk on the water, Peter's like, I'll do it. And he jumps out of the boat and starts trying to walk on the water with Jesus, right? He's the guy that's in. And Peter is like, all right, I'll answer this question. He says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Man, you cannot miss the importance of this answer. As they are standing in front of complete idolatry, this massive wall of stone, this sexual sin of all sorts, this throwing away of family, this longing to get for self, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're Messiah, you're the one that the scriptures talk about from 400 plus years ago, you're the one, man. You're our hope. You're the guy. You got to imagine the other 11 standing there as Peter's like, you're the Christ. No way did, Peter didn't whisper this. You get that, right? He's not like, well, you know, you're the Christ. Like, that's not it. He's like, you're the Christ. And the other 11 guys are like, dude. Like, they're in this massive moment of extreme idolatry all around them. And Peter is like, this is the one you should be worshiping. That's what it's all about. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are our answer. You are our hope. You got to know from Old Testament prophecy that the Christ is the one who would reign for all eternity. The Christ is the one who would speak and people would be healed. The Christ is the one who would bring an unbelievable understanding of Scripture and lives would be rocked. The Christ was the hope of Israel for all eternity. That's what he's literally saying. You are the hope for all eternity. You are our king. You're our God. And then he says, son of the living God. Like you are the son of the divine. We have divine presence right in our midst. You are the answer. You are the Christ. You are our hope. You are why we're here. And it's really easy to get into the presence of Jesus Christ and get all caught up into whatever we're hurting on and whatever we're reeling in and whatever we're hoping would change. And we don't get so bold as to say, you are my hope. I'm with you. You are the son of the living God. Literally, it is because of you that we have spiritual hearts that are awakened. You are our everything. As Peter is answering this question, frank and flat out, he lays it down. Worship, well, worship should be all about you. Trust in 
you. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. May we grasp that it's all about Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, man, there's a movie out right now. It's called American Gospel. And I don't talk about movies up front. I just don't. That's the way it goes. But American Gospel is a movie you want to see. And it's on Amazon Prime. You can get it for $4.99. Unbelievable. So worth seeing. It starts out talking about the gospel story in America. The truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. And then it talks about how it's been hijacked away into other storyline. And they do such a great job top to bottom in explaining how it is not about this. It is about him. It is not about this. It is about him. It is this awesome statement that it is about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And all of God's people said, man, I'm telling you, it is so worth seeing. And, you know, last week as we talked through what it means to give authority to Christ, last week's passage was about the authority to forgive sin. And as we walked through that authority to forgive sin and we walked through the storyline there where we had a paralytic healed in the story to prove that he had the authority to forgive sin. Don't miss it. Eternity in hand. And we had so many tears throughout each of the services at 9, 11, and 4.30 as people were beginning to wrestle with what do they need to give over to their God? How can they trust him? Who can they hand over to him? It's so often our lives and our families and our hurts and our pains and we start clinging to them and we lose track that it's all about Jesus Christ. Man, are you willing to trust? Simple question. So what is it you're holding on to? What is it you're harboring that you're nurturing, and that you're refusing to give over to your God? Are you willing to trust? Are you willing to look at him and say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the one who is the answer in my life. I trust in you. Man, may he get all the glory. And all of God's people said, it is all about his glory. May we trust him along the way. All right. Second. Second. Partner with Jesus as he builds his church. Partner with Jesus as he builds his church. And, uh, so we pick it up now. Jesus has asked them some questions and they've answered back. Well, the others, they say you're some kind of prophet. You know, maybe John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, maybe Jeremiah, something like that. And then he's like, well, who do you say? And Peter steps up and says, you're the Christ. You're our hope. You're the reason. And Jesus answers them. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. He's literally saying, this is amazing. You've been given an insight, and it's amazing how that insight is clearly from heaven. You are blessed. God has unleashed in you a truth. 
You're beginning to grasp what's going on. He says, blessed are you, Simon. That's his first name, right? Simon Peter. Simon, Bar, which means son, Bar Jonah. So son of Jonah. And uh, literally, he just got done saying, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right, and you are son of Jonah. As he just talked about who his father is, son of the living God. So now I'm recognizing your father, son of Jonah. And in fact, if you go into uh, the book of John, John chapter 1, verse 42, it says the name of Peter's father is actually Jonas. And, and so you could shorten it up to Jonah. Most believe that's probably what this is. It's actually an allusion to his father's name. This is talking about his blood connection. Like you have physical fatherhood and this is who it is. And you have rightly called out my fatherhood, son of the living God. And so now I'm calling out your fatherhood. Son of Jonah. And uh, as he says, Simon Bar-Yona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You are blessed because flesh and blood didn't give this to you. You didn't get this from your dad. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father who is in heaven. He's like, hang on, y'all. He's looking at the 12 of them. And he's like, get this, you got to picture all the hustle and bustle going and the ridiculous idol worship going on and the sin taking place around. And he goes, look here, look here. Everybody looking, listen. What Peter just said is from my father. That truth is stunning. Anchor into it and hang on. God is doing an amazing work along the way. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Know this, the Father shares out this truth. We must believe in Jesus Christ. We must believe that he is risen from the dead. We must confess him as Lord. He is Messiah. He is our hope. He will be king for all eternity, Jesus Christ. And do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you grasp who he is? Are you giving it your all with all you've got? Point number two here is partner with Jesus as he builds his church. Partner with Jesus as he builds his church. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven and I tell you, you are Peter. Now you got to hear this in the original language, in the Greek. He says, you are Petros. Literally, he's saying, you are, and his name means rock. You are rock. And then he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now remember the backdrop of where they're standing. This giant rock cliff behind them with all the idolatry going on. And they have decided to build into this rock cliff all the idol worship they can think of. And Jesus has just said, who am I? And he says, you are the Messiah. And he says, you know what? You've nailed it. That is what we're talking, this is the rock. This is what we're talking about. As he starts to pump it forward. Now I'm just gonna tell you, there's been a lot of conversation about what it means when it says this, upon this rock. I will build my church. 
right? There's definitely the play on words. He says Petras, and then again he says, and on this Petra, this rock or this little stone, I will build my church. And, and so what is he talking about? Some say, well, it's just on Peter. He's like, hey, because of Peter, he's going to like start with Peter and he's going to build the church out. In fact, the Catholic Church even goes as far as saying, this is the beginning of the Pope right here and putting it into the man. And then whatever the man gets to claim and go after, that's what's going to happen. And, and um, I'm just telling you, that's really a small answer. If we're looking at Jesus Christ revealing himself as the Christ, the son of the living God, and then he goes, but never mind about me, we're going to build on Peter. Y'all get how small that is, right? He's like, hey, you're looking at the God of the universe. Let's build on that guy, right? What a mistake, right? I don't think that's what it means at all. And some will say, well, the second option that it could mean, let's build on this rock, this declaration that he just made, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now we're getting somewhere, right? That is actually landing into the rock statement that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We lean on him, we trust in him. And there is massive hope in him. Yes to that. And that's a huge deal. And then there's a third part that isn't it really just the declaration of from the man who leans on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It's the both and. And he's like, I'm telling you, I am going to build my church on a person like Peter and the declaration he made and the truth of who Jesus Christ is and I will build my church and humanity declaring out the greatness of Jesus Christ is what the church will be built on. Man, it's a huge deal that we get this. This isn't some moment to start worshiping a guy. This is a call to worship Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, don't miss it. As he says, I'm telling you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. He says, I will build. Who's building? Jesus. I will build. Jesus is putting together the church one soul at a time, one VBS at a time, right? And as we see kids coming to trust Christ, and as we see families getting fired up, and as we see lives turned around that Christ might get all the glory, it's awesome that Jesus is put at the middle of that, and he is drawing souls together. He is revealing out, I will build my church. And it's a huge deal as we grasp that Jesus is the builder overall. He says, I will build my church. 1 Corinthians 3.11 talks about Jesus as the foundation of the church. It says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. That is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is building and he's building it on himself. He's not building it on a guy. He's building it on himself that Jesus might get all the glory. And uh, Jesus, it also says that he is the cornerstone, 1 Peter 2, 7. He is the cornerstone. The stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. That's what 1 Peter 2, 7 says. The stone the builder rejected, that's Jesus, has become the cornerstone. He is the center point. He is the foundation, Jesus Christ. When he says, on this rock... It's himself and the truth of who he is 
And as we anchor into him and as we declare him and as we long for him to get all the glory, God does an amazing work. And all of God's people said, please hear me. Church is not about rallying a bunch of people together and just trying to make it glue like a club. It's just not what it is. It's a giant, massive call to worship that Jesus Christ might be center stage, that it might be all about him, that he might get the glory. Jesus is like, I will build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Don't miss that. Remember the picture that we just got done looking at. This cave in the background and the place where they had child sacrifice going on and they talked about the blessing somehow from the demonic levels coming back out of it annually. And he's like, listen to me. This rock, this idolatry, this gate of hell, nothing. I'm telling you, on this rock, I will build my church. I will call forth and those who will lean on me as the Savior of all, saved for eternity. May God get the glory. I am that rock. I am that stone. And this is what's coming down, boys. Nothing like this. Everything like this. May God get all the glory. The, amen, man. The gates of hell will not prevail. Just remember, where do you put a gate? Right? You put it there to try to keep people out, right? And he's like, we're pressing in. And we're going to be bringing souls home to glory for all of eternity. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And the worship that we need to be talking about is a worship right here. You've got to imagine that for disciples who are believing in worshiping Yahweh, that to have a being right in front of them, telling them, you have now permission to worship me. It's on. Dude, that is a huge moment of call out. And as Jesus Christ is now calling them to partner, to build the church. The word church is the word ecclesia. It means called out ones. Those in the church that are saved and a part of him were called out. We're called out to make much of him for his glory and his fame and his name. It says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, literally, I'm giving you rights and responsibilities. Rights and responsibilities. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I'm just telling you, this has been misquoted so many times, it's unbelievable. If you actually go into the original language, here's what it actually says. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Will have been. It's in the perfect form. It's already done in heaven. And as you declare it out, God is pressing in. He's like, hear me, Peter, just as the Father gave you the declaration that I'm in Christ, so the Father is going to be giving you the understanding of what should be bound. And then you will declare it out. And it will be happening on earth because it was first declared in heaven. It's in the perfect form. It had been bound in heaven. Absolutely huge deal. Why? Because otherwise you turn it around, you make it all about the guy Peter. And then whatever he says is the way it starts going. And all of a sudden this has become a giant man worship. Can you hear the hijack? Where all of a sudden it's not the father in charge. 
And he declares and he sends down through his sovereign leadership. And Peter hears and he just prays it out and longs for it. And God does a work. It's not that. Now all of a sudden, Peter tries to take control. And he's like, here's what's going to happen. And he's trying to bend the arm of heaven to make it happen. I'm telling you, that is not what this passage says. It is all about God's in charge. And as Peter is given the reviewing understanding of who Jesus Christ is, so he will also be given the understanding of what should be bound. And literally it says, what you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven is the best understanding that in the perfect form. It says, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, will have been loosed. Perfect tense again. Huge deal that we grasp that. God says it. Peter gets it. He prays and works on it and God reveals it into this earth. It's from God to man and out. From God to man and out. That is how the church is built. From God to man and out. Ready? And all of God's people said, let's not miss it. Jesus is calling somebody right now. (laughs) Perfect timing on that. Let's not miss it. It says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's like, hear me on this. I am the authority. I am the son of the living God. You do right to worship me. This truth, it's the anchoring rock of what will grow the church. The father will bind and loose. We will pray it and live it out. And this church will be grown that God may get all the glory. And then he says, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Why in the world would he do that? It's like, it's not time yet. Hang on. Hang on. And soon it would be time for them to stand with Jesus Christ and declare him as their Messiah Savior. And they would go boldly out after Christ's death and resurrection and take a stand for him, but not yet. He was bringing these 12 into the inner sanctum of knowledge of what God is doing, and he was beginning to wake them up as he was about ready to take them down to Jerusalem, and it was going to all break loose. Everybody say, God has a plan. Jesus knew exactly what was going on as he said, you hang on, we're building on me and we're headed somewhere huge. Just don't tell anyone else yet. Here we go. Man, being able to be a part of the church being built is so humbling. To be able to be a part of something where God gets all the glory and we try to get out of the way as much as we can and we make it about him. It's a huge deal. And I love how this church gets so excited about celebrating Jesus Christ. You know, we have been on a journey for a long time here, right? It's been over a decade and then some, and we're running 13 years of time coming up on 14. And, uh, you know, this past year, we had to make a couple of tough decisions. And uh, we told you guys an announcement a month or two back, and, and uh, we're, we're headed into changing our name. 
And this church is going after doing some things to celebrate Jesus Christ. But I want to make something really clear. We've been super passionate about where we're headed. We've been trying to pray it through and reason it out. And it's time for you guys to know where we're going, all right? And so what we want to do is get the name out to you guys today. We want to get the celebration out of where we're headed. And so we're going to do that through a video. So we've made a video here about five and a half minutes. We're going to watch it together. I've got a few things to say after it. And then your job is going to be to spread this video like crazy. We're going to put it up on Facebook starting tomorrow and go after it. May God get the glory, all right? Hear me. Jesus Christ builds the church. And all of God's people said, hear me. Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah King. He reigns forever. We celebrate him. May God get all the glory. Man, as we go after name change, here's what we're going after. Hear this. Hey, Pastor Tim here. Glad to be able to connect with you through this video and just wanted to get the word out about the next leg of the journey here for our church. And uh, maybe you didn't catch the word, but a couple weeks back we announced we are changing our church name. We're going after an adjust to the church name and we're super fired up about it. Here's the deal though, we're the same church. That means the same passion, the same vision, the same approach all the way down the line. We are the same church, but with a new name. We're super fired up about going after that. So why change our name? Well, the bottom line is we're trying to make it clear that we are fully independent, that we always were, and always will be a fully independent church. We have our own elder board, we have our own pastoral staff, we've got our own financial responsibilities, we build our own preaching calendar. We are a fully independent church, and we're gonna make that super clear with a name change. And then one other piece to this, as we go after the name change, we wanna land the vision. What are we and who are we and what are we all about? We're gonna land those all together. As elders and pastoral staff, we brought together just some of the different words that best represent who we are and what we've been doing as ministry and where we wanna continue to go. Bottom line, words like uh, impact, We long to have an impact of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, stirring in our lives, and of the Holy Spirit truly doing a mighty work as we go after vertical relationship with Him, uh, truly a passionate worship for Jesus Christ. Man, we long to be a church on fire that God might get the glory, Christ-centered, God-honoring, deeply biblical as we walk word by word and phrase by phrase through God's word. And we can't wait to continue to do that around here with a worship that is decidedly contemporary and on fire, passionate, authentic. These are the kinds of words we've been talking about going after. And what does it look like when the Holy Spirit starts to come into our life as we experience God doing these things? Well, we start to experience transformation, right? One degree of glory at a time life-altering, God doing a work in us that we cannot wait to see Him do, the kind that brings tears to your eyes, you're so fired up, excited about what God's doing. We long to be able to have this mountaintop experience with our God, to be able to meet Him in all of His glory and have Him rock our world. That's what we're going after, for this mountaintop experience, this summit-like experience, if you will. So the word summit 
Man, it's a super significant word. I, I love the meaning of this word and the richness of the word as an elder board and as a, some of the pastoral staff rallied together and we looked at the word. There's actually three different meanings for the word. I don't know if you knew that, but the first meaning is a gathering of like-purposed people. Like rallying together, you know, like let's pull together a summit meeting, right? A gathering of like-purposed people. The second is a verb. This verb literally means to ascend to the highest point, to summit, to kind of go up to the highest point. And then the third meaning is actually the noun of that highest point, the top. When you put those three things together, this gathering of like-purposed people, and it's a place to belong, a summit gathering. And when you talk about the verb of ascending to the highest point, it's pursuing our God with all we've got. And third, this word summit literally means that highest point, that place of coming together with our God and experiencing his glory as he rocks our world, experiencing God Almighty. And so summit, it's a place to belong, to pursue, and to experience. And when you put it all together, we're talking about being Summit Point Church. Summit Point Church, a Christ-centered place where you can belong, pursue, and experience your living God. So we are Summit Point Church. Really, we always have been, and we always will be going after these things that define the summit. A great gathering where you can belong, a hunger to pursue after the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ, and we long to experience Him with all we've got. Man, we long to be a church on fire. Summit Point Church. Summit Point Church. That's where we're going. That's the name. Get ready to share it out. May want to hold for the 11ers so they get a little bit of experience, but have fun with it, right? If now you feel like the disciples, they're like, I'm the Christ. Don't tell anyone, right? So Summit Point Church, man, we're super fired up about it. We're really excited to be going after this. We got with lawyers this week. We talked some details through and got it all submitted in. Things look like they're going to go along real well with the name and all of that. It'll all be final and official somewhere towards the end of August. So we'll be rolling this in in September, somewhere in there like that. Uh, this fall is where we're headed for the name change, all right? So we are Summit Point Church, right? And that's where we're headed. Please hear me. We are excited about what this means for three majors because it shares the truth that we belong together as we rally together to make much of Christ. We will pursue him with all we've got. May God get all the glory in this place. And all of God's people said, and we will experience him and he will rock our world. May God truly be shown off as we are changed one degree of glory at a time. Summit Point Church, a place to belong, to pursue, and to experience our living God. 
And all of God's people said, amen, man. Here we go. We're on a journey. May we truly celebrate him with all we've got. It is Jesus Christ who builds the church. Who builds the church? Who builds the church? And he forever reigns. Let's pray.